everyone. This is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and culture that the book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God was saying to our lives. Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen more in love with His Word. This season, we're going through the book of Daniel, and today's episode is the introduction. So it is so good to be back with you. This is a new platform. Um, Podcast is new for me. We're just giving this a try. So I hope everyone is finding this easy to download and to listen to. And it's really going to be helpful whenever you go to look for episodes. So today we're just going to chat a little bit about what was going on in the world when Daniel was written. Now, some of you who've already started studying may have come across some commentary that suggests that Daniel was not actually written by Daniel, but was written much later. Um, And it was kind of written as a morale builder to inspire the Maccabeans to um, attack the enemies whenever they were going to war. Now, there's a lot of information about this, but we're going to go in a completely different direction. So all I'm going to say is the book of Daniel claims that it was written by Daniel and Jesus tells us it was Daniel in Matthew 24, 15. So we're just going to trust Jesus on this one. Now, we're going to go way back to 605 BC. Now, we're going to have to get historical in this episode because we have to set up what is happening in the world so that we can fully understand what is going on in this book. If you're not into history, stick it out. I promise that... um, When you come back next week, you are going to get right into the narrative. It's in a story, it's an adventure, and you're going to enjoy it. So this story is set in the capital city of Babylon. Um, It is a place that we find mentioned from Genesis at the Tower of Babel all the way to Revelation. And Babylon is the ultimate symbol of rebellion against God. In our own lifetime, well, in my lifetime, I'm aging myself here, we see Saddam Hussein try to rebuild it in all its glory, and he actually saw himself as the new Nebuchadnezzar. To also get our bearings on what else is going on in the world, uh, the Acropolis in Athens was being built, the Mayan civilization was flourishing in Mexico, and Aesop was writing those famous fables that read we still read in English class. Anyway, so the Babylonian army was led by Prince Nebuchadnezzar, and he went in to defeat the Assyrian-Egyptian allies, giving Babylon supremacy in the ancient Near East. Later on that year, his father died, and it made him the king. So while he was king, he decided to move on south and evade Israel's northern kingdom, Judah, under King Jehoiakim. Now, let me tell you this. After Solomon's reign, um, the nation of Israel divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom because, um, you know, his siblings were fighting over who can uh, become a ruler of the kingdom. And so they lived many, many years as two separate kingdoms. And so he, right now, we're talking about the northern kingdom of Judah. Now, whenever he attacked the northern kingdom, he began to bring some of the royal nobility of Judah back captive to Babylon. This was something very common um, in the ancient world. This was only able to occur because God had removed his hedge of protection after years 
of Israel being unfaithful to him. And the whole idea was to bring judgment to the land so that they would repent. Now, in this first deportation, Daniel was taken uh, along with some holy vessels from Solomon's temple. Daniel was believed to be in his late teens during this time. And then some years later in 597 BC, there was a second deportation, and that's when young Ezekiel was taken. And by this time, King uh, Jehoiakim's son was king, and he was also taken. And then 11 years later, in 586 BC, there was a third deportation taking place. Jehoiakim's brother was now the king of Judah, really placed there as a puppet king, but he ended up rebelling against Babylon by secretly making a treaty with a pharaoh. And um, this ended up making Nebuchadnezzar extremely angry. So after an 18-month siege, Jerusalem fell and the temple was burned. I actually learned recently that this was crazy and it just shows you the hand of God that this Israel no longer was a nation at this time and it became a nation again in 1946, 48. I'll have to clarify that and confirm that in chapter one, but they were saying this is the only time in world history that a nation ceased to exist and then resurrected again. And so we just see some of this as um, prophecy being fulfilled. Babylon um, has always tried to come against the one true God because Oh, and because of that, we know in Revelation 17 that she's going to be judged. I'm going to take a, a, a little minute to read that. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of those sexual immorality the dwellers on the earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast and she was full of blasphemous names and it had seven heads and 10 horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mysterious Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes, and of earth's abominations. Now, a name on the forehead represents the one whose mind has been given through walking in agreement with. I think that is so interesting. So in Revelation 22, it tells us that his name will be written on the forehead of the redeemed and we will live with him in eternity. So we either follow and have the mind of Christ and walk in agreement with Christ, or we are choosing to walk in agreement with a counterfeit religious system of spiritual harlotry. It's just getting started and it's already an adventure because we are in the middle of the story. In chapter two, we are gonna find out that King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that is actually prophecy of the kingdoms that will rise and fall since his reign. And all of these things have come to pass, but we're still right in the middle. This last um, bit of the the statue that's in the dream has not come to um, fruition yet. So it's really exciting to see what is gonna be happening 
happening in the world. And we know because of the dream that God wins. There's nothing to fear. Sin entered the garden and caused most of the world to be broken and painful. But our God, the great I am, the most high has a tenacious love for us. And he's been working since that day to restore all things. And I'm excited to see it happen. So that is it for today. It's not too long. In the following weeks, the lessons will be much longer. They'll run more um, like 20 minutes, but you have some homework to do. So for this next week, you need to read chapter one. I want you to sit down and take a little bit in each day. Take a few verses at a time, and then in a journal, summarize them in your own words. And this is gonna be easy because Daniel is a narrative. I want you to then look at the bottom of your study Bible and in a commentary and write down some cultural information to give you greater understanding. Ask questions, define words you're not familiar with, dig deeper into things that will stick out to you. And then always, always go in asking the Holy Spirit to reveal deeper insight and let Him reveal these things throughout the day. Meditate on what you read, let Him sink in. If you're meeting with a group, I suggest that you take one chapter a week and assign that to somebody different each week and allow them to do a 15-minute teaching when they get to group to share what they learn. They can act like no one else has done any study, even though they have, but it's almost like they're telling a movie that they saw, just in their own words, what's going on and what they learned. And then after they're finished, open it up and let everyone discuss. And then come together and listen to my teaching. I would much rather you dig in, study, learn with your friends, and then just find out if I had anything else to wrap things up or any new tools or whatever to give you. But I would much rather you dig in for yourself before you listen to my my podcast. I'm studying this in real time with you. This isn't something that I have spent months preparing on. So we're literally on this journey together. Remember, this is supposed to be fun, and ultimately, it's to draw us near to the Lord. Oh, and one more thing. Please, please, please subscribe to the podcast and rate us. What this will do is it will help us reach more people and get the word out. We want more people learning how to read their Bible, falling in love with the Lord, and becoming true image bearers of Him. And then also share this to your favorite social media platform. I am so excited to go on this journey with you. Again, I just want to reiterate, I'm not a theologian. I'm a mom. um, I'm a pastor's wife. And this is just something that I love doing because I fall in love with the Lord more and more each time. And I think that it needs to be done in community. So it's something fun together. So please explain in grace. I'm not always going to know and understand things 100%. And there's going to be times that as I grow, I realize that I understood things wrong. And that's all part of study and building um, this community so that we can dig in deeper. If you have any questions, post them and I will do my best to answer them the following week. I thank you so much for going on this journey with me. Happy reading. Hey everyone, this is Becoming a Bible Nerd. I'm Carrie Hunt, and I'm so glad that you're joining us today. I believe this ancient Eastern text was never meant to study alone, so we choose to do it in community. We will take one book a semester, one chapter a week, and really dig in to understand the context and the culture that this book was written in so that we can better understand how to apply what God is saying to our lives. 
Our goal is to equip you and your community to fall more in love with Jesus because you have fallen in love with his word. This season, we're going through the book of Daniel, and today's episode is Daniel chapter 1. All right, everybody. It is so good to be back with you. I know that this um, the introduction was fairly short, but you are going to have to hang tight because we have a lot to cover today, but it's all good stuff. So this chapter starts off, this, and it says, In the third year King Jehoiakim's reign, King Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and laid siege on it. Now, I want to talk about King Jehoiakim for a minute. He was the king of Judah, but not because he was a rightful heir. He was placed on the throne by Pharaoh, so he's more like a puppet king, and Judah was subservient to Egypt during this time. King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Judah more because Pharaoh had tried to invade Babylon, and he was upset with them. Now, the Lord handed Jehoiakim and Judah over to King Nebuchadnezzar. This was because Israel had rebelled against the Lord by worshiping other gods and failing to observe the Sabbath year. In Israel, God commanded them to rest themselves and allow the land to rest every seven years. Um, And because of their disobedience to that, well, let's say for 800 years that they lived there, they disobeyed for 490 years. That left 70 Sabbath years that they didn't trust God And because of this, he brought judgment on them for 70 years. One year in Babylon for every Sabbath year they missed. Now, this is what is crazy to me. The Sabbath year was necessary, but it was also a gift for them to rest. And because they didn't receive this gift, they were chastised. Now, I know that that word is an old-fashioned word, but bear with me because when I was punished as a little girl, my dad called it chastised, and I had to sit and listen to how he loved me so much, and this hurt him more than it hurt me. And then I would hear the story of Jesus and how um, he stepped in for our punishment. And the whole thing was, the intent of it was to wrap this punishment into God's love. Like, because my dad loved me so much, He could not allow me to go too far in disobedience. The punishment was to call me back to him. Well, it worked. Maybe not at the time, but now when I think of this word, I think of the loving hand of a father bringing his children back to him. And that's exactly what he was doing. He wanted the children of Israel to be uncomfortable, to know what it's like when his hand wasn't upon them in hopes that they would repent and turn back to him. The, um, The idolatry part of this consisted of child sacrifice, um, ritual prostitution, and graphic sex acts with other people and animals, Um, as much perversion as you can imagine. And this prostitution, a lot of it had to do with young children. And so shame on them. They should have been punished. (laughs) So King Nebuchadnezzar carried some vessels from the temple in Jerusalem, back to Babylon, to the house of his God. Now, from this point on, I will probably refer to Nebuchadnezzar, that's a mouthful, as King Nebi. I love to give people nicknames. I never will give Jesus or God a nickname because of reverence, but everyone else is fair game. Nebi's name actually means Nebo protects the crown. Nebo was a Babylonian god of wisdom and literacy, and um, he was in their pantheon of gods. He was also the son of Marduk, which we will spend some time on later um, in a few chapters. This Babylonian god Nebo was also known to the Greeks as Apollo. So bringing these vessels back to the temple communicated my god is better than your God. 
One thing that um, I learned in my small group, but not that I learned, but that um, one of the people pointed out was that the Lord handed Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and these vessels over to Nebuchadnezzar. So God allowed this to happen, and it did happen, and it's going to come back to bite someone in the rear end later on. We'll find out about that. So this invasion was not mentioned in the book of Kings, but I found this interesting for people who are way into history and you want um, archaeology to prove the Bible. This was mentioned in the Babylon, by the Babylonian historian Barosis in the Babylonian Chronicles, which was discovered in 1887 and is now kept in the British Museum. So they found evidence of this battle in 1887. It was also prophesied um, by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 39. That's the thing about God. Whenever he brings this judgment on his people, it is to get their attention, to return them back to him where they can grow and prosper and be safe. He also continuously gives them fair warning in years and years of this warning so that they can turn back without being chastised. But nonetheless, they're humans and we are stubborn people and they never did repent. And so they are now captive in Babylon. Verses three and four, the king ordered Aspenaz, that's the chief court official, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal families and nobility back to learn the Chaldean language and literature for three years. Now, these were boys, I'm sure you've learned, that were probably between 13 and 17 years old. They were good looking and intelligent. They would be served in the king's palace and given the best food. That doesn't really sound like our idea of prisoners. And all of this was to completely indoctrinate them into the Babylonian worldview. Remember the worldview that opposes God. Now, this word Chaldeans, we're going to see this several times through this chapter. Um, who are the Chaldeans? Well, we're going to go back to Genesis. We know Terah, that was, that was Abraham's dad, he was Chaldean. And we know that Abraham, if you know your Bible history, he was from Ur of the Chaldeans, which was Mesopotamia, which is modern-day Babylon in this day and age that we're talking about in the book of Daniel. They were southern um, nomadic tribesmen. And during the current age of Daniel, they were influential and highly educated. And they were more referred to as a social class by that day than a people group. They were astrologers fixated on the heavenly host. They ended up being some of the wise men who came to see Jesus. And we get our 60-minute um, hour and our 60-hour um, yeah, sixty hour minute. Blah, blah, blah. I can't talk. We get that there's 60 minutes an hour from them. We get the 360 degree circle from them and we get our names of the week, which they named after their pagan gods. Now, Dr. Constable, who many of you know, I use Dr. Constable's notes. You can get them on Amazon or Sonic Light. You can print them off from there. He said this education that these boys would have gone through would have covered history, astronomy, mathematics, medicine, mythology, study of dreams, the study of the liver, rites of purification, sacrifice, incantations, exorcisms, divination, and magic. Many of the things on this list were strictly prohibited in the law by God. In verses 6 through 7, we are introduced to our main character and the supporting characters. There is Daniel, whose name meant in Hebrew, God is my judge. And he was renamed Belshazzar, Bel's prince. That is a pagan god in Mesopotamia or in Babylon. 
Um, his friends, Hananiah, who was beloved by the Lord, became Shadrach, illuminated by the sun god. Mishael meant who is as God, became Meshach, who is like Venus. And Azariah, the Lord is my help, became Abednego, servant of Nego, another false god. So what's the deal with the names? Well, Isaiah 25, 25 says, as his name, so is he. Names were very important in the ancient world. And while I was thinking about this, like God spoke the world into existence. And he also says through the text that life and death are in the power of the tongue. So I have been really meditating on this idea and I have come to believe that there's really something supernatural behind words and think about how many times you use words to communicate names so literally a dozen or more times a day you are speaking you're a name to someone like I think of my own daughter's Eden every time I say Eden I am speaking that she is God's delight and pre- pleasure over her. And every time I speak the word Salem, I am saying peace over her. Now, a Jewish rabbi explained that to a Hebrew, your name is prophetic. It captures who you are and is the key to your soul. You literally become the word spoken over you. So this is why it's so important. Now, friends, we do not allow any negative names to be spoken in my house. I am a stickler about this. None, not even when you're joking, because I believe that words have this power to build up or to tear down. So we can see why King Nebuchadnezzar or Nebi wanted to change the names. He wanted to bring glory to the gods he served, and he wanted to tear their identity down. While I was preparing for this, I felt so heavy that there are people listening today that had have words spoken over you that are lives from the enemy trying to rename you. And because of that, it's brought death into who God said and called you to be. You may have even spoken some of these over yourself. And today, will you allow me to just pray a prayer to break that? I just want us to pause right here. And I know I normally don't do this, but I felt so strongly about it. And this prayer I'm going to pray, I just piece together scriptures from the text that are going to just breathe life and truth over you. So let's go to God. I just want to say that you are called by a new name that the Lord's mouth will announce. The one who created you, formed you, and redeemed you, and has called you by name, and he says you are mine. He will also give you a white stone, and on that stone a new name is inscribed that no one knows except the one who receives it. Lord God, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for the truth of your words, and we just receive this today. I pray that anything that has been spoken over our audience, Lord God, that they believe will be now broken by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the blood of the Lamb. We thank you for this. In your holy name I pray, amen. All right, well, we are going to have to move on. So in verse 8, I use the New King James Version. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's portion of delicacies, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he requested to the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I loved the language here in the New King James Version. Um, For this section, I did go back to my notes in Esther to look a little more deeply at this because I knew I had written down what these big king parties were like. And according to my notes from the Medo-Persian Empire, which would have been the next empire to rise, um, these banquets, there would be a lot of drinking. It would have been a lavish show uh, of opulence and wealth from the king. 
There would have been no restraint held on drinking, and the king determined how much the people drank. And the drinking was usually centered around the worship and practices of their pagan gods. Now, the word defile is a spiritual matter, and only the most faithful Jews concerned themselves with remaining ceremonially pure. So we know that this is important to Daniel and his friends. Now, what's the deal with the food? First of all, this food was from a different country and different practices and wouldn't have been kosher. This would have also been food sacrificed to the idols like Baal, Nebu, Marduk, Ishtar. This food would have been prepared in a way that would have been an act of worship to these gods. They would have been strangled, which God's law strictly forbade. They would have not been drained of the blood under the law of Moses. Um, And to the ancient world, they saw blood as life. In fact, these two words are synonymous. Blood was life. And my friends over at Walking the Text gave me a great resource for this. It's the Anchor Bible Dictionary. I have not purchased it yet, but this will be my next purchase. And they sent me some quotes over so that I could um, share them with you for the study. But um, this Anchor Bible Dictionary explains that in Pergamum, remember that's one of the seven churches in Revelation, participants would celebrate in a cult meal to honor Dionysus, and the members would eat the bloody meat that had been sacrificed to idols in a way of trying to get the energy of Dionysus in them. So this helps us while we're not in Pergamum, it helps us understand what was going on with this ceremonial dinner. They they would actually consume the bloody meat and believe that the energy of the gods they worship would possess them. So eating, um, also eating in the ancient world implied fellowship and communion with the cultural system. It said, I am in agreement with you. So this was something that Daniel could not and would not stand for. I found it interesting, um, David Gusick and his Enduring Word app. I'm throwing a lot of um, commentary uh, resources out there. This is a free app called Enduring Word. And David Gusick pointed out that Daniel didn't object to his new name or this three-year worldly education, but he did object to the food and wine. Eating it would have been a direct disobedience to God's word. And he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. So he made this decision. In my small group today, Shara, my friend um, that um, blogs for us sometimes, she did the teaching on it. And she was just blown away with the way that Daniel handled this. We spent quite a bit of time, which was so interesting because I didn't even have that in my notes. And I love studying with other people because you pick up what they really hone in on and you can learn from them. But she really spent time with how he was level-headed And he didn't just um, call for a strike or make a big scene, but he did this in such an honorable way. And because of the way he did it, God was able to bless them and he was able to find favor in the kingdom. But this whole um, idea of purposing in our heart, how do we do that? How do we purpose something in our heart? Well, I believe you have to have a prepared heart. In Titus, It says, not by works of righteousness, which we've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. I think it's through this righteousness. um, I'm sorry. I believe that it's through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit that we are able to purpose in our heart. We can actually have the mind and will of Christ by spending time with him through the power of the Holy Spirit. This comes through relationship and we have to spend regular amounts of time with him. 
So Daniel ends up asking permission to refrain from this food and wine, and we see that the favor and compassion was extended to him. In verse 17, it goes on to tell us that these four guys um, had knowledge and understanding, or God gave them knowledge and understanding in spite of what culture was teaching them. Daniel could understand dreams and visions of every kind. No one was found equal to them, and they were 10 times better than the diviners, priests, and mediums. This is an abundance of favor because they chose to be obedient to their God. Now, um, just as a side note, what is a diviner priest or a medium? Well, a medium is someone who communicates with the spirit world. This is a real art and there is power behind it. And God warns his children to stay away. I encourage you today, this is such a serious offense that I encourage you to repent if you have done this, because when we do, we open ourselves up to the spirit world and you want those doors closed and you want them protected. But the wonderful thing about God is we just have to confess and turn away from our ways. And so if this is something that you've participated by going to a medium, um, somebody with a crystal ball, having your palm read, anything in the occult, I just encourage you today to confess that before the Lord, ask for forgiveness and move on. This is, um, yeah, this is important. Sorry, lost my thought uh, process for a minute. Um, so I had just catching up, um, oh, I put in my notes, uh, why was Daniel far better in all that he did? Well, I believe it was because the Chaldeans sought power and wisdom from the father of lies who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You will be, uh, if you follow them, you will be led to partake in the tree of knowledge of good and evil, just like Eve did. And it's a trick to lead you further away from God and further away from the truth. But Daniel and his bros sought wisdom and knowledge from the creator of the universe who sees all and knows all and shift things with one word of his voice. And so he was, they were able to hear truth and to hear it pretty quickly. And they were able to think quick on their feet because of the wisdom and knowledge that God gave them. Now, this really gets me. It makes me think that in the Christian world, we should have the best artists, playwrights, imagineers, engineers, actors, musicians, teachers, doctors, and the list goes on than the world's ever seen. But I think that as a Christian nation, we choose to not, we don't purpose in our heart to follow God no matter what his will is. We compromise in little areas to get ahead and to live in an upside down world um, that is in our face day and night telling us what we need to succeed. We always like to chase the glitter and the lights and the platforms, but God's world is completely different and we need to start purposing in our heart that no matter what, we'll discover what his word says and we will live it out. Friends, Daniel was not just born a spiritual giant. He prepared for this moment through years of learning the law, meditating on it day and night. So let's purpose in our hearts to allow the Holy Spirit to move in us and through us this semester. Let's ask God for wisdom and understanding as we read through Daniel with our friends. I want you to continue to share with us what God is showing you and your friends through the study. I'm so expectant. For next week, we'll discuss Daniel chapter two. Happy reading.